In this movie, Taika opens up with Thor interacting with a breakout popular character from another bit of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. From there, he forces our hero, whose personality seemingly reformed overnight, to face off against a villain portrayed by a generational talent that gets about 15 minutes of screen time and tries their hardest to make those minutes count. Unfortunately for the viewer, they can't carry this thing to success on their own. The story consists of two unrelated comic arcs mashed together for the sake of providing excitement and introducing another hero's story into the MCU. Neither of these arcs are handled particularly well, and both are quite obviously rushed and in need of a lot more time to develop. The hodgepodge screenplay is held together by the quirky brand of YTT humor that eventually overstays its welcome and is forced into places where it simply shouldn't be. It is very obvious that they would have rather made a comedy than this movie about cataclysmic and serious subject matters. These issues can mostly be attributed to Marvel letting directors carry their worst tendencies way too far, while not letting them have any expression to create what makes their other films uniquely theirs. Because if there's one thing the MCU has yet to be able to do 9 times out of 10, it's genuinely put itself out there without being desperate to call out how goofy and stupid it is for simply existing. Well, there's the recap for Thor Ragnarok. Guess I'll talk about Thor Love and Thunder now. Oh, wait, I already did. If you've seen discussions and promotions for this movie online, it probably won't surprise you when I say that this movie actually looks like dog shit in multiple places. Marvel continues to overwork its visual effects sweatshops for a rushed final product that looks like it belongs next to The Rock in The Mummy Returns. Yet they continue to get away with it because for whatever reason, everyone lets them. I mean this is no disrespect to the actual visual effects employees who are putting in the hard and long hours to actually get these things done. They deserve more time and better pay for having to deal with this. It is quite frankly depressing to see videos of Watiti laughing and mocking the VFX scenes from the movie, because not only is it insulting to these workers, but it also just comes off as not really caring about the final product that you're putting out there. Further, I'm begging Taika to understand that it's possible to write jokes in a Thor movie for the characters and about the characters without the jokes almost exclusively being at the expense of the characters themselves. Thor has been victimized for like three entire movies now as the only way they seemingly know how to handle him is by making him a complete doofus or the butt of cruel forms of comedy. For this, you have one group to thank a studio that is too self-conscious and afraid to take any risk, or, like I said, put themselves out there in any real way. I mean, it's like they see all the most emotionally resonant moments of their franchise and make every director sign some sort of contract to never do that shit again. Thor in Infinity War versus how he behaves in Endgame and how he's treated in Endgame is complete whiplash and it's done in like the worst possible way. And then they tend to learn the worst possible lessons from this and keep on chugging along. For those who would like to defend this movie by saying, it's a comedy, with T.T.'s a comedy guy. Yes, you are right, he is a comedy guy. Except the themes of this movie, such as slaughter, genocide, privileged peoples, and cancer are all super hilarious. And clearly they're incapable of being handled by someone like Waititi, who definitely hasn't handled similarly serious topics in a comedy before and done it exceptionally well. <coughs> Jojo Rabbit. <coughs> it's like dousing a dish in hot sauce. Sorry for making my inner white person show with this analogy, but hot sauce, if anything, should be acting as more of an accent and highlight for the amazing flavors you've worked so hard to bring to life on your plate. It should never amount to the entire substance of your meal. The biggest restaurant in the world shouldn't be defended time and time again for under-delivering. 
They learned how to make like two dishes and have just been making the exact same meal over and over and over again because it's reliable and inoffensive. Marvel is slowly becoming, or has even become, the McDonald's of movies, relying consistently on quantity over quality. A lot of what they do has essentially just become a low-tier product. And if you consider it anything else beyond some occasional flares of brilliance once every six movies, I think you're just lying to yourself. It's nice to be able to enjoy it, but acting like it's some sort of fine dining experience is simply being disingenuous. I like fast food too sometimes, but damn, I wish they put more emphasis on the food and less on the fast. And the sad part about all of this is that Marvel is clearly capable of doing this. The second half of this film feels head and shoulders above everything that happened within the first hour. Christian Bale gets to actually do something, Hemsworth and Portman have some really solid scenes together, and there are a few moments of genuine emotion. Of course, by this point I was just completely worn out though, so it was much harder for me to connect with everything than it otherwise would have been. But even Chris Hemsworth's daughter, who is essentially a non-character in the movie, got some pretty well done bits of scenes in this. That said, here are just a few things that grind my gears about Thor Love and Thunder. First would be the three separate exposition narration sequences from Cork. These exist because there is literally not enough time to otherwise fit the rush story into the movie's very short runtime. Second would be the minuscule amount of time you actually get to spend with the antagonist. Gore the God Butcher ends up butchering approximately one god on screen. You can feel with the first scene he's in, they are just checking off the mandatory backstory boxes as quickly as they can. Why are they moving so fast? Third, they're moving so fast because we'd rather spend two minutes of screen time doing an actual parody of Thor Ragnarok. Yep, the Asgardian play is back, and really overstays its welcome this time around. We also spend another couple of minutes touring New Asgard, which has apparently been turned into a theme park tourist destination. This isn't in any way relevant to the story or anything, it's just important so that when Disney opens this exact section in their own park in the future, it makes sense. Once again, product over film. Fourth would be Russell Crowe. He was fine as Zeus, I guess, but his voice was just grating to me, to say the least. He sounded like he should have been wearing a monochromatic Adidas tracksuit or asking his cousin Nico if he wanted to go bowling. Fifth would be the amount of real estate that is granted to jokes that just keep on going and going as opposed to anything emotionally resonant in this film. It's fine, the jokes land well enough, I suppose, but it's really annoying when something feels rushed, but you know it's rushed solely so that they can do the screaming goat joke from like 2017 a dozen times. It just makes it feel really shitty. You shouldn't sacrifice your story for a laugh, in my opinion. Sixth would be that they did the screaming goat joke from 2017 in 2022. Seventh would be, many moments of this movie just feel so manufactured that it pains me. The amount of Guns N' Roses needle drops is just annoying. The only one that felt interesting was the use of November Rain. Everything else was simply low-hanging fruit that felt lazy and that Taika had discovered the band last week and was just completely obsessed with it. Someone needed to rein this in, but that person must have been MIA. This, compared to the two big needle drops in Stranger Things Season 4, were completely different feelings for me. Uh, one show feels earned and thematic, and the other is this. Eighth is that I could not tell you whether or not this movie had an original musical score, and I am writing this review only two days after having seen it. Ninth would be that they did the, he's behind me, isn't he? That was an actual line in the movie. Comedic brilliance. Film TikTok is going to have a field day with this one. My last and biggest complaint is that there is a good movie in here somewhere. We managed to see some great scenes of it here and there. Moments with Jane and Thor are for the most part really resonant. 
Their natural chemistry is dialed up a notch with this sense of urgency from Jane's cancer diagnosis, and it's nice to see them back together. Jane's main arc is also pretty poignant to me, even though there's a minuscule amount of time spent on it. The idea of choosing to live out one last adventure instead of her choosing to survive a shell of a life constrained by chemotherapy and a stagnant drip of IV really worked for me and felt super impactful. But I honestly believe that as of right now, this says more about me than it does about the quality of the writing. Thor's arc of trying to care about people is also given minimal time, but it's a good idea on paper. I can at least be glad the Thunder God has a purpose again and seems to have reconnected with his heart by the end of the film. I'd also like to compliment the sequence on the comet in the Shadow Realm, as that was probably the highlight of the film for me. Uh, the absence of color and the way that light is used here is probably one of the most visually interesting things I've seen in a Marvel movie since, uh, I guess, Multiverse of Madness. I don't have much else to really say here other than that it is difficult to connect with a movie that at times feels embarrassed to exist more than it feels like it wants to tell you a compelling story. Sure, it's entertaining, I guess. There are worse ways to spend two hours and $14, but this is entirely milk toast. It's a bit disappointing because this was my most anticipated remaining Marvel release, and now that two really interesting Thor arcs have been squandered in one fell swoop, I'm not sure what's to come for my favorite Avenger. The kid seemed cool though, props to her. But anyway, if this is what my most anticipated highlight of Marvel ended up being, I dread what's to come. Hopefully Guardians 3 can pull it together. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to try to fix this one like I did with Uncharted a while back. I mean, I actually did send Taika's agent a rundown on how to make this movie with the exact same plot points like three years ago, so I doubt I really want to do it again. But a short rewrite video could be fun if there's not much else I feel like reviewing coming down the pipeline. Let me know in the comments. I uh, aim to please, I guess. Final verdict is a 2.5 out of 5, probably actually leaning closer to a 2, but we'll give him the 2.5. It'll make great background noise on a cable TV channel in a year, but uh, that's about it.